morning, we're going to continue in our series, God's Way. We're going to continue in the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 18. The title of this morning's sermon is No Limping. And, and what I mean by that is not a physical limp because uh, some of us have that, and uh, some of it is not even just, um, just an injury. For me, it's depending on what I did the day before. I wake up in the morning and, and I'm limping because, because. <laughs> but what we're talking about this morning when we say no limping, uh, we'll read it in our text, but it, it is about uh, us having our convictions. What, what in your life do you have serious convictions about, and, and, and what in your life are, are you still on the fence? Th those things where we haven't made a defined decision about. Those things where we already should have come to a point to say, no, this is where I stand, but we're still straddling. Again, we're in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning, and I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 17, it reads this way. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I'm not, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood. Then put no fire on it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he 
is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that even as rebellious people, you come and meet us right where we are. So sometimes we are so faithless that our attitude is show and proof. What an attitude for your people to have. But even in that, you meet us because you are merciful, because you are good, because of your grace. So we come to you this day, Lord, desiring our daily bread, looking to see you even closer. Often because of our selfishness, it is wrapped up in our circumstances that we recognize our need for you. But as we already sang, we need you for everything. It is your breath in our lungs, Lord. So would you meet each person where they are this day? Because you know it all well. And would you satisfy us, Lord? Would you help us, Lord? Would you remove scales from eyes? Would you break up stony hearts and give hearts of flesh? Would we present ourselves to you wholly this day because you deserve it, Lord? Because you are good, Lord? Because we are your creatures and we are in desperate need. So we come to you laying our petitions before you and thanking you in advance because we've learned that you are good. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been going through this series and speaking about the life of the prophet Elijah and in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. In chapter 17, we read that God built up this man, and he went to the king and said to him, there will be no rain nor dew on the earth for three and a half years because of your worship to Baal, because of the disobedience of the people. And it will only be at my word that rain would fall. And Elijah left the king's presence and God supplied the needs of that prophet in multiple different ways. And while he was away, the king was looking for him. He, he wanted him dead. 
If you could just imagine as the situation got more and more bleak, as day by day the rain didn't fall and uh, crops failed and animals would die, uh, the aggression of wanting to catch this man would intensify. But now God speaks to his prophet and says, go to Ahab. And in this uh, same chapter that we're reading, chapter 18, uh, Elijah starts making his way to the prophet. And at some point, it says, Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets, meaning killed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So, so we can see the intensity of this situation coming about. And at some point, Elijah says to Obadiah, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today, meaning to Ahab. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then we come to the place where we are in this story in the text that we read this morning. And the first thing that Ahab says to Elijah is, oh, here's the troublemaker. Obadiah makes known to Elijah that Ahab had been searching for him, uh, blaming Elijah for the cause of all that is happening in Israel. And here we see Ahab makes this statement. Ahab is accusing the prophet of being the cause of the trouble. While, of course, Elijah had nothing to do with it at all. He was the messenger. He, he couldn't stop the rains. Only God could do that. You know, this is an example of what people tend to do when their sin uh, is causing them trouble in their, life, in their lives. They find fault with God or with anyone else that points out their sin. And here Ahab determines that Elijah is the one to blame rather than himself. Because Elijah is the one who calls him out. We've all experienced that before. Usually you would go to a person that is in sin based on your relationship with them. Right? We just don't go to random people and, and speak into their lives. But even in that, often... The person that will go and point something out, even in love to someone else, that person rejects it. They blame God for their situations at times. They come against you for being the one to point it out 
Not, not that it's not obvious to, to other people it is. They never look inward. So it's amazing how even just from the start of this conversation, when Elijah comes on the scene, Ahab, who has done all of these things, says, oh, the troublemaker is here. All of this stuff that's going on is your fault. And he answers, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed after the Baals. We already know about Ahab. Um, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Sin is blinding. So already it's laid out. This guy has done more wickedness, so he was inventing stuff more than his father, his father's father, his father's father's father. But at the same time, he's not the one to blame. In another place in 1 Kings, it says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. This, this pagan queen that got married to him so that they would have this, this bond for military strength had brought all of her gods and traditions that were against the Lord right along with her. What can we pull out of this? First is, before we point the finger, before we view the problem, uh, the drought, um, as the messenger's problem, every outside entity, uh, it's this reason, it's these circumstances, it's all of this other stuff, take stock. L look at you. See, because sin is an inside job. Sin is an inside job that produces outward manifestations, and it builds many of our situations. Like we always think, no, the circumstance is the problem. No circumstances didn't come out of the clear blue sky. There are things that we just face. We live in a wicked world. Uh, times are hard. And, and those kind of things affect all of us. But then there's other things that were caused uh, from your actions, the way you think, the things that you do, the habits that you have, the lifestyle that you live, and it's an inside job. And you have no one else to blame. Like, we have to take inventory. We got to take stock in that. So the nerve of this guy saying that the man of God, the messenger, no, he's the problem. I've had people even at times come to me and say, you know, you said this, this, and this, and this, and so-and-so was offended, and this, that, and the other. And I'm trying to think of like uh, uh, interaction that I had with the individual. No, when you were preaching. Really? What, what about maybe we go to church when we hear the Word of God that the Holy Spirit interacts with our heart and that may be something that you need to address? That doesn't only just happen to me. That happens to 
anyone who even in love goes to another and say, hey, like look on the inside. And this other stuff starts to change. The text tells us, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table to please his wife Jezebel Ahab uh, set up an altar to Baal at the top of Mount Carmel which was uh, the deity that Jezebel worshipped. He, he was known as the god of rain, and he was known as the god of vegetation. He, he was known as the god of fertility. That's hilarious. Worshipping Baal and his goddess Asherah was of the popular thing to do. If you, if you want to be on the inside, if you want to be down with the people, if you want to be with the upper echelon, uh, this is what you're going to believe, and, and this is what you're going to do. If you want to be good with the culture, Fall in line or be ousted. If you want to be on the right side of history, then this is the way you must think. And if you choose not to, you're out. That's today. That, that's the pressures from every single place, the government, entertainment, schools, your friends, everything we do. No, you're going to fall in line with this or you're out. And Israel fell in line. Let that not be said of God's church. Unfortunately, I know better. Like we find ourselves in a multitude of people in all different places. Some people towing the line. No, it's what you said, God. Some people being quiet. Some people falling prey to the culture. And some people believing the lie over truth. They found themselves in all of those different situations. It says, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So um, the showdown, like I, it just like reminds me like an old western, like I'll, I'll see you at high noon. Like, those movies aren't, like, politically correct anymore. But when I was a kid, like, that kind of stuff was on all the time. It's like, the showdown is going to happen here at 
Mount Carmel. This is another thing that's funny. So Baal is Baal is the, the, the god of fertility and rain and, and, and vegetation. And Mount Carmel, Carmel means vineyard. It means orchard. It means garden. And it reflects the, the beauty of what was going on around him. It wasn't only one mountain. It was a group of mountains. This is the way that God does things. This is God's way. His people were going astray and being led by Ahab and Jezebel. God doesn't abandon them, but he raises up a prophet. And the prophet goes and he confronts the king. It will not rain. There'll be a drought here for three and a half years. And then... He says, bring all your prophets, and I'm going to meet you here in the place that's called the vineyard where you've built an altar to your God, that God of vegetation and rain, and it hasn't rained here for three and a half years. I'm going to meet you in this high place, this God of fertility, the God of the storm, the God of rain and vegetation. We will meet in, at Mount Carmel, the vineyard, the garden, the orchard. You know, that place that now looks like a dust ball. By stopping up the word, the, the rain from heaven by the word of my prophet. Sometimes I just laugh on how when I read the text and I do a little bit more research, like Mount Carmel means what? The Baals was worship. Why? And, and, and so often it, it brings an emphasis to exactly why God picked the place and why he picked how he was going to turn his people's minds around. Oh, you want to pray to a rain God? No rain. Oh, you want to set up an altar on this mountain that's called what? Look how it looks now. We do the same things. Like, we don't call our God the same name. But it's, I want this money, or I want this power, or I want these sexual escapades. And we make those things our God. And it'll be the very same thing that we fall prey to and we are victims of and what we were looking for, God could satisfy all those things. And usually not by giving you what you want because those things are things of the flesh. But he satisfies on a deeper level. I thought this was so funny. So here's the story. Right. With all of that, the king who had been searching throughout the whole kingdom to find Elijah to kill him. Now, Elijah just comes to him and basically is like, hey, I'm going to challenge you to a duel. A showdown. In front of everybody, gather all the people of Israel and bring all your so-called prophets. 
And, a, and Ahab, who wanted to kill him, submits to this. See, because sin is blinding, he thought he could win. It didn't even make sense. Sin never makes sense. When you sit down and logically think about some of the things that you're doing, you're like, I, this has a grip on me, but it doesn't even make sense. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. That wasn't the first time they were praying to, to Baal to, for the rain to come. And you still submit to a showdown in front of everybody. To the man that before he got to that place, God was building up in the secret place. That, that, that's what we were talking about. What was he doing? He was preparing him for this very moment. It was bigger than Elijah. It was bigger than the widow. It was bigger than her son. No, he was doing something in him and for him and through him all along to bring him to this place for the sake of the people. That's what he does in us. But, but we get like uh, a little bit of this power and things going, and then we think, yeah, you know, that's all I needed was like a little bit of fixing up. Now I could really be on my grind. It was never about you in the first place. Like, it's always about, like, us and what God is doing to us and in us and for us corporately. We were just talking yesterday about people with money and people without money. And I already recognize the people that are the most giving always have. I'm not talking about what you only put in the offering basket. I'm talking about how you live your life. There are people that are just generous with everybody, with everything. They'll take a loss before they hold back. They'll be cheated before they skimp. They're never broke. Then I see people that will not give you a nickel. And they always have financial problems. That, that's just how it works. So when we are looking at this story and what God is doing and that he was doing something deeper, it says, Elijah came near. This was the whole thing. To all the people and said, how long? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, you got one choice, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. If the Lord is God and you're acknowledging that, follow him. If he's not, then go about your business and do what you want. And when he poses this question to them, they said not a word. 
Why are so many reluctant to make a, de a defined pledge about their course of action? Israel found it like real convenient to be in fashion in that time. Oh, this is what we're doing. We're worshiping Baal. Okay, I could get that. And, and then when it really counted, when they were called to the carpet, when they said, where, where do you stand? Not a word was spoken in the most critical of moments. When they had to make a, a choice between the truth and falsehood. The people did not answer him a word. Not any people. These were God's people. People that had history with the Lord. Silence in moments like these is deafening. And our world today, there is nothing but compromise. And in fact, in fact, you could view the world as just one big compromise. A decision must be made. The things of this world or God? Baal or the Lord? You know what people hate? People hate people like Elijah, where, where you're forced to make a choice. Because you know what they'd rather do? Well, I'll do a little of this and a little of that. Depends what suits me at the moment. I read a quote. This is what it said. The world is lax. It must hate strictness. The world is lawless. It must hate absolute. Unyielding law which presses it. The world would be sovereign, keeping religion in its own place, to minister to its well-being, to correct ex excesses, to soothe it when wanted. But a kingdom which, though not through not of the world, demands absolute submission of the world must be, of course, provoked the world's opposition. In other words, I want my cake and eat it too. Religion is good like in its rightful place. When, when I'm sad, when, when I'm in need, when I'm wanting my vision board to be fulfilled. But don't infringe in the other aspects of my life. Don't, don't, don't infringe in my business in the world. You cannot have it both ways. The limping, the wavering, the hesitation between two opinions is one of the evils of our time. The world is fond of compromise. And that same spirit 
has crept into the church. The, the appeal of this text is like, hey, uh, you need to follow these principles and practice them. It is called a time where decision is called, if the Lord be God. The, the, the first point of this is a question that each and every one of us has to answer. When we hear the gospel, it has to be settled in our heart. Do you trust Christ or don't you? Is he Savior or is he not? We, we have to make a decision about this. And, and, and this decision, when we make it, it's not about, yeah, I'm going to say that and then live a different way. This is about total consecration. Lord, I'm yours. But, but you're not going to say, Lord, I'm yours with certain things and with other things, it's off limits for you. And in the midst of that, consecration is a process. Sanctification is a process. It's not like, hey, I just give my life to the Lord and all of these areas in my life are just going to go away. No, we got a whole lot of mess. All of us. All of us. But if you are not submitted to the process, if you're a sermon-proof Christian, like Pastor Angelo used to say, where when you hear the word, you leave here the same way. Or if you sit and thinking like, why is this guy always talking about like this kind of stuff? Give me a happy sermon. I'm not going to love you to hell. Our job is to make disciples. Our job is for you to see clearer who God is so it would change our hearts. There's a lot of churches you could go to where you're going to leave there hip, hip, hooray. But often when you talk about like, um, what did that sermon do for you? Oh, it made me feel good. I could watch cartoons and feel good. Like God is continually doing like a surgery and changing us into the image of his son. There can't be a wavering between two opinions forever. Once we make that decision, God is working. He's even working for us to make that decision. But we have to then be like, God, every area of my life, just keep breaking all of this stuff down, knocking down doors, opening up my heart so that you can continue to change me. And, and, and when the thing that's number one in your life gets eradicated, the number two becomes number one. Oh, you got a long list. So do I. 
Like, like it won't be done until we rid ourselves, until God rids us of these bodies. But, but if you go on living like, hey, like, I, I'm walking this fine line, and, and I'm going to have one foot on the foundation and the other one on shaky ground that's continually sinking, you can't stand like this. You, you can't function like this. You're limping between two decisions. You know, one of the things that we do is we procrastinate. I was just talking to someone right before service. I was like, hey, you know, this is come up, get this done. And I work good under pressure. I said, I'm the same way. Like when I know I have a deadline, but with this, you don't know your deadline. Like sometimes I got to stay up real late to finish my sermon because I know um, 10 o'clock, you're going to be up there. Better be right. We ain't talking about a defined deadline when we're talking about this. Like today is the acceptable day of the Lord. Like, like we either as saved people, go through this process of God working on us day in and day out, or we're going backwards. You, you ain't standing still. You, you limping between these two decisions, you still falling back. When, when they were being challenged with this, they found themselves in a situation because the way sin is, it creeps up on you. They are just going with the flow, with the majority. The, the moderate people who keep on good terms with both God and the devil. That's impossible. Like, you can't be on good terms with God and the devil. He said, if you are with the Lord then follow him. If, if, if you're with Baal, then go ahead. And they said not a word. Basically, so broken down as a people that they're saying, God, you're going to have to show and prove again. And the grace of God, that he would even do that because he did. And, and often we need more proofs. Like, that's terrible. But it's who we are. And the fact that God is so patient. Like, one thing that I'm continually working on is patience. I, I thought I was patient when like, I'm a little nonchalant now about, like, waiting in line or if the light changes and the guy doesn't go ahead of me. But patience is way deeper than that. It's waiting on God's timing for things. It's um, praying that your children mature or those that you love. Or it's Receiving like the same kind of information, even those in the church. And it's like, God, grow us all up. 
right? It's like the weightier matters of patience. God is patient. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is good. He is working with you. Like, he condescends to us like, all right, this is what you need. Like, he, he could just, I've given you, I've shown you, you already know. You know, I'm tired. I'm done. Not our God. One commentary said this. The prophet makes a point as an appeal to the judgment and conscience, the, the, the conscience of the people. How long? His voice of stern yet sorrowful rebuke when have struck deep into many hearts. But they answered him not a word. Halting between two opinions was probably a true description of the mental condition of the great mass of people. Some, no doubt, were blind devotees of the reigning idolatry. Others consented to its rites and practices them fearing fear of penalty, of resistance. We find ourselves in that place sometimes. Or in hope of some form of secular reward. I'll just bend the rules a little bit and get what is coming to me because it's the way the world operates and functions. But the greater part of them were just in this state of moral in this state of moral hesitancy, leaning sometimes to one side and sometimes to the other. That's us. Leaning sometimes to one side and then sometimes to the other. It was the fatal defect of their national character, the sad heritage of earlier days, the 40 years in the wilderness. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. It is a fatal inconsistency to believe in a God and yet not follow him. That's inconsistent. Like if you say this, it's supposed to look like something. You can come up, worship team. Divided service is dishonoring to God. Why? Because what you're saying is whatever your idol is, the Baal, whatever your idol is in God are on level playing field. When you have divided service. You are elevating that idol to the place on plane or higher than God. It robs him of the glory that is due his name. If you worship two or more gods at the same time, you're putting them on equal footing. And God already said, I will share my glory with no one. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. 
You can't serve God and money or God and anything else. And, and you know, the descent into idolatry is gradual. It, it, this didn't happen overnight, and they didn't totally abandon God. It's God and this other stuff. The responsibility of every person as regarded to God. We all have a responsibility. That's why he was able to ask them that question. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Then we have God's grace. Instead of leaving Israel to their own demise, God met them where they were. He, he brought them through a process. I'm going to raise up my mouthpiece. I'm going to put you in a place where you have to cry out to me. There will be no rain, which means there will be no vegetation, which means animals are going to die, which means things are going to be slim, which means you ain't going to be eaten for a while. And that discomfort, that growling stomach is going to lead you to a place where even if you don't come to me, I'm going to come to you. Meet me at this mountain where you've built this altar to the God of rain. This place that was always lush, that it was named for its lushness. And watch me show up. What a merciful, glorious God. That, that he is more concerned for your eternal soul than your comfort today. 